Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. I'm also a daughter of a mother who lived with dementia for 30 years. Yes, you heard right, 30 years. Uh, for those of you that are new to our show, um, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we do that by connecting people to resources, service, products, and tools. We are also a um, known as a, a media outlet to help companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our platforms and our content um, so that they don't have to reproduce everything. And so it's really kind of a fun way to, to market together. So if you're a business out there looking to enter the market of dementia or caregiving, uh, give me a jingle at 651-748-4714. Or you can always email me, Lori, L-O-R-I, at alzheimerspeaks.com. Or just go to alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a big contact button there, too, and, and check us out. Now, before I introduce our guest today, I want to just thank our audience for their loyalty and their time commitment and all of the shares that you have done regarding our content with your spheres of influence, be it the radio show, our dementia chats, interviews, where I interview people um, who are the true experts, those diagnosed, or if it's the blog, the website, the YouTube channel, you have just... um, really helped raise our profile and raise the need for services, products, and tools for those dealing with dementia, both family and professionals. And I want to thank you um, again so much for taking that time to like, to click, to share, because you got us recognized by Oprah this year as a health hero, Maria Shriver as an architect of change, and Dr. Oz is the number one influencer online, and that would not have happened without you. And so all of those accolades that we get, we, we always share with you, our audience, because we really, truly do feel that we are a team. I'd also like to invite you to... Um, call in if you have a question or a comment um, regarding the topic that we're on today, which is going to be talking about travel. That number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. And think about, you know, maybe you've got a story or an idea that you want to share about shifting our dementia care culture. Um, if so, reach out to me. I'd love to have you on as a guest. Now, again, before I introduce uh, Greg, I want to just give a shout out to a couple organizations that I just totally adore. Um, the first is Calendar Cards, which is a memory system 
And they have been so gracious to organize and um, manage the Memory Cafe directory. And so if you are looking for a Memory Cafe, and those are kind of support groups for people with dementia and their care partners, or if you have one you want listed, um, just go to memorycafedirectory.com, and they will help you with that process. It's free of charge. It's easy to use. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful resource. So I I highly thank Calendar Cards for doing that. And Calendar Cards is with a K for both calendar and cards. The other uh, organization I want to mention is the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. If you're looking for holistic things that you can do to um, prevent dementia, um, go to their website, alzheimersprevention.org. There you're going to find stuff on nutrition and exercise and meditation. And there is also a new organization or newer organization that just started, and I love this concept, called the Purple Table Reservations. Um, PurpleTables.com will get you to them. But this is a daughter who's uh, had a parent with dementia who also is a restaurant owner and knows the importance of people having adequate space and being served properly. Um, and so you can call ahead. Um, they've got an app that's developed. This is brand new. Um, but they are training restaurants in terms of how to serve those with dementia. But it, it's going to be even broader than that. It'll be people with um, any type of special needs. And it, it's really a, a neat concept. You'll be able to get a table maybe in a quieter spot, maybe with better lighting, maybe with a reduced menu etc. So um, they've really put a lot of um, a lot of heart and soul into into this program and um, I think it'll be very beneficial for for so many people. Again that's purpletables.com. So let me introduce um, Greg Lace today. Uh, I, I am really, really excited to have him on the show. He is the founder of Wilderness Inquiries, and he's going to share with us kind of their mission and their vision and their programming. Um, He has personally instructed over 300 wilderness experiences throughout the world. So this isn't just in Minnesota here. This is, I mean, they go to Africa and they go to Alaska and they take um, day trips um, or or extended. Uh, It's really a very cool what they're doing. And they they work with people who have disabilities or chronic illnesses um, in groups or um, as one-on-one, uh, depending on what the needs are. And uh, it, it's, just a, it's just a fabulous organization. When I toured the company, I was so impressed with how organized they are and, and the vast variety of trips they have to offer um, and the the travel packages that they have been able to customize to meet people's needs so that they once again can travel. Because a lot of times that's something that that people just kind of think is gone. It's, it's, you know, it's past time. And he, he and his company enable people to continue on and still have that travel experience. So welcome, Greg. How are you doing today? Thank you, Larry. I'm doing great. Well, like I said, I'm very excited to have you here. 
uh, with me today. Um, I, I was I was almost overwhelmed with what all you do and the efficiency in which you you do things. But before I get to our line of questioning, um, I always ask every um, every one of my guests, you know, if they have been personally touched by dementia, um, either in their family or circle of friends. Yeah, um, you know, certainly, I mean, I know friends who have had dementia or have had parents with dementia. In my case, my father had, you know, what I would call dementia, although it wasn't exactly diagnosed that way. He had uh, COPD, you know, pulmonary Mm -hmm. uh, disease, and um, was kind of in a nursing home for about three years, and you know what happened is he he went from being a really um you know sharp guy to kind of it seemed like he regressed backwards in in age almost to by the time he died he was sort of functioning emotionally and otherwise at I'd say a 6 or 7 year old level and um you know he and so he didn't remember a whole lot and I don't know if that I I don't know if that was from dementia per se, or just from reduced blood flow to his brain, or what, how what the relationship is there. But certainly watch that slide, and um, you know it was a hard it was a hard thing to see and be a part of. Although finally, actually, when he got you know I'd say a few months before he passed away, he was pleasant and happy and played jokes and tricks, and so. I'm sure many of the listeners here have aging parents and um, you know, so kind of know what that's all about. Yeah, so exactly. And there's Yeah, there's there's so many overlapping um symptoms, you know, from one disease um to another. And so yeah, the the memory loss could easily be from lack of blood flow, you know, just like with vascular dementia. And, and how that plays out, um, medications, all that stuff can, can come into play as well with that. Now, Greg, why don't you tell people a little bit about, you know, wilderness inquiries and, and uh, you know, what's the history? What made you start this? Because you've been doing this for like 40 years. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe we've been doing it that long. But, um, <laughs> you know, well, we started it actually kind of on a uh, – almost to prove a political point where um, 40 years ago there was a controversy in Minnesota's Boundary Waters Canoe Area, and um, there were statements made by certain politicians um, that if we did not allow motorboats in the Boundary Waters, we would discriminate against the handicapped, elderly, and women. And, you know, now when I say that line, I mean, people all all kind of balk at the, the women part, you know, although 40 years ago, that was, you could say that and get away with it, but, <laughs> but we, yeah, so, we took umbrage to the issue of, uh, you know, the handicapped, and we thought, well, gee, you know, how can you say that in a broad base? So my sister worked for the Minnesota State Council on Disability, and um, she called me up, and I was in college, and she said, are you going to take that land down? I said, take what? She said, that challenge, and she said, if you do a canoe trip in the Bounty Waters with people who have disabilities, you know, I'll help you out and find the right folks. So I said, okay. So we did it. And um, um, 
didn't have, I was a psychology major in English, you know, and you know, I wasn't like a therapeutic rec background or a physical therapist or anything like that. And um, I would say that in doing that trip, we did prove that political point, but that soon became, you know, really secondary because we saw people doing things that, honestly, we never thought was possible. And um, and then in, in watching in watching them do these things, um, it kind of helped us reflect on our own lives. And when I say our, you know, a couple of friends of mine from college, and I guess we all became friends in the process of that trip. So, But, you, you know, it put your own life in context, and we got to thinking, gee, you know, <laughs> what are we thinking about and what are we worrying about? And so it was a transformative thing. And when we came back from that trip, um, decided to incorporate it as a 501c3 organization and uh, keep doing it. Now, we never thought we would do it as a long-term, you know, um, commitment. I mean, we, we we just loved it and wanted to share it with more people. So that's kind of how we got started. We didn't really know what nonprofits were. We had heard of these entities called foundations that supposedly gave people money if you wrote them a letter. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't. This is this is 1978, and I just said at our 40th anniversary that uh, you know when you think about it, Jimmy Carter was president then, and Leonid Brezhnev was the um, general secretary of the Soviet Union, which was going strong, and um, the, uh, the the video game Space Invaders had just come out, you know, to revolutionize gaming. So <laughs> it was a different time, and Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the story of how we got started. Wow. So really it was kind of a re- rebellious act of, you know, no, you're not going to limit us. We'll we'll prove you wrong type thing when we're younger, just kind of taking that, taking that challenge up. And just think if your sister never would have made that call to you. I, that's absolutely. I mean, I'd probably be a lawyer in some law firm downtown. <laughs> so <laughs> I really owe her yeah. a lot. It's it's amazing how uh, you know our lives can change so dramatically by by somebody's comment, by just someone's challenge to us or someone's support that you can you can make a difference, you know. And I just I just think wow, I, I look at that forty years and the number of lives that you have affected. And, you know, empowered and engaged. And, you know, gosh, just just think how many people would have missed out on all of that had your sister not called or had you had not taken the challenge your sister laid out before you. It's kind of incredible. Yeah, it is. And, or had not those politicians made those kind of statements, you know. Yep. I mean, it is, it yep. is funny how we react a lot. And it was an act of rebellion. And, I, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I was 20 years old. I mean, what do you say? I mean, you know, when you're 20, you're a little bit more rebellious than you are at 61. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, and you, you look at the world today and, and the rebellion that's, that's happening just in this last year with the different marches and, and, you know, people trying to stand their grounds and, and the kids with the shootings. And I mean, there's just so much the me too, you know, I mean, it's just, there's so much of that going on right now. And, you know, what's that, what's that going to look like in 40 years? 
you know, compared to, you know, what, what you have been able to accomplish. Now, in your in your celebration, that must have been awful fun because I know you guys have so many photos of your different travel. And that's one of the things that impressed me, too, was that you you capture all these moments. You know, you just don't you you just don't develop them and, and do it and walk away from them, but you actually capture them. Well, we worked really hard to try to, you know, bring the bring the story home, and you know, I wouldn't say that we're the best at that. I mean, we're okay at that. We've we've got the best stories, I think, but you know, we don't. You know, we need to have. Just a few years ago, we started a photo internship program, so people go out and you know, um, interns and take photos, and that's really up the game quite a bit. But it is. Because I, I would say, Laurie, that the other piece to it is that even, you know, even if people don't go on a trip with us, if they see, um, they see these photos and they see these activities happening. In 1988, we went to Australia and went on the snowy river down there. And one of the women in our group, um, wheelchair user, um, she worked for the National Park Service, uh, just retired. Actually, I still know her. We went. Um, we had to rappel over this cliff, and I hated the idea of rappelling, so I went down and hid under the cliff. And sure enough, <laughs> all of a sudden, this wheelchair comes over the side, and and I couldn't believe it. So I took a picture, which became very. It was like my most published photo ever, mm-hmm. and um, um, uh, you know, of a woman rappelling down a cliff in a wheelchair. And and after I took the picture, her wheel got caught in a rock, and she kind of twisted sideways, and I. I shouted up to her. I said, "You know, Aaron, you know, are you nervous?" And she said, "No, I already, I already broke my neck once. This is no big deal." <laughs> it was kind of an eye-opening, you know. I, I wouldn't have thought that would be her response. And she got down off the cliff, and everything was fine. But um, I would still say that just people seeing those kinds of things happen helped can help to motivate and inspire people. So. Oh yeah. It's pretty yeah. Big time, you know. How how did it make you feel seeing that coming when you were hiding? <laughs> yeah, I thought. Well, I knew my my number was up. I'd have to go up and do rappelling, which they forced me to do it. And of course, I got all tied up in knots, and I looked like a you know something in a cocoon by the time I got down. But um, yeah, so it's about kind of venturing out and trying new things and experiencing the world and new people and. You know, that's just what we love to do. And and so, you know, talking about earlier some of the issues of, you know, working with people with Alzheimer's and, um, you know, getting outdoors and traveling, you know, it actually just never even occurred to us that we couldn't do it. I mean, that's, you know, when I said we were, we weren't trained in anything, we just, you know, well, we were, you know, my friend was a journalism major, Paul Shirky, who helped me do this. And and I was a psychology major, and we just figured, you know, I remember the first person who went on a trip with us with Alzheimer's. Actually, it was a trip that was written up in the New York Times. And we, his wife told him, told us about it, and he loved the wilderness, and he wanted to go. And, and um, you know, on first sight, he looked, he looked, you know, a nice, I don't know, 50, 60-year-old guy, or at least is what we thought, old man in our opinion back then. And we took him on a trip in the Bounty Waters, and he did great. You know, there were some moments where we um, were kind of 
pushed a little bit. And I remember one time we were having dinner, and he said he got he got agitated, and he said, you know, I haven't talked to my wife in you know a year or something, and I need to talk to my wife, and I want to talk to my wife. And um, he just got quite agitated, and and I said to him, well, you know. We don't. There's no phones in the wilderness, you know. We don't. We don't have. This has been well before cell phones. And he said, uh, "What? No phones? No phones?" And he said, "I don't have a phone." I said, "Well, do you? You don't have a phone?" I said, "Do you want to use mine?" And he said, "Yes." And we. I said, "Okay, it's back here." So I took him on a hike back through the woods, and we had a marvelous walk through the woods. And you know, by the time we were done with that walk, he had calmed down, and we came back down to the campfire and ate popcorn and had a great trip. So it was just like, I don't know. That was my first direct personal experience with somebody with Alzheimer's. And um, I would do that again in a heartbeat. I mean, I didn't, I know that people have all different levels and, you know, issues going on, but he was such a delightful, kind person who really enjoyed, enjoyed that trip um, for Mm -hmm. the, for the moderate, I would say moderate amount of accommodation that we had to make, um, it was it was it was not a problem. Yeah. Well, and the way you reacted was perfect. It was redirecting, and you validated his feelings, and and you know gave a solution. And then by the time you know you you redirected, it wasn't an issue anymore. And so um, you know that was a that was a perfect perfect route to be able to go. I think so many symptoms that that people have if it's chronic illness or disabilities or whatever it might be are so overlapping and it's it really is just getting to the heart of making the person comfortable you know at at their core on an emotional level um are they comfortable do they feel safe you know are they happy and and you know your um model is so inclusive and you know it has that has your model of in, inclusion really shaped your organization as a whole over the years? Has that really been kind of your mainframe? I think so. I mean, I think that's the, you know, we love the outdoors and, you know, we practice, you know, leave no trace camping and, you know, we do a lot of different things, but that inclusion piece is really what I think sets us apart and that, if someone comes to us, and we actively go out and recruit people too, but with a disability of whatever kind, I mean, our first response is how, not, you know, why or mm-hmm. can we. And it's it's uh, how do we figure it out? And yep. you know, one thing I've learned in, do, in doing this for so many years is that there's kind of a never-ending, I mean, the issues like we were talking about before the show, the issues that afflict, I mean, that, affect the human body are astonishing in their breadth and um and while a lot of people you know a lot of there's there's probably a number of common responses that you would make it's really um it's really quite amazing how many how many different um disabling conditions or you know whatever however, however you want to frame it you know can affect us so well, and you had mentioned, like, with your training for your staff, you kind of use the World Health Organization's model that has, I think you said, like, 12 different fundamental impairments that the the human body can have. Um, 
and and I and I think that that's really kind of a nice way to be able to go because things are so overlapping, and needs change, and you know you have to be. You have to be fluid and have some common sense and then, you know, protect everybody's uh, dignity and, and safety uh, in, the, in the process. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's it like to travel with your organization, Wilderness Inquiries, and, and do you just do groups or can an individual hire you as a kind of a one-on-one um, to travel with an individual? Mostly groups. We do one-on-one travel once in a while, um, you know, and it's usually a thing where a trail guide will go out and help somebody. Um, but most of our, you know, we have, you know, a set of trips that we run every year. We do like 500. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say there's we have different programs. So we have a family program that's really more geared for families with uh, teenage and younger children, um, although all ages go. And, um, you know, so it's a quite an integrated thing. And then we have a, another program that we call Gateway to Adventure, which works specifically with people with developmental disabilities to to help them kind of gain skills and social skills so that they can be integrated back into our, quote-unquote, uh, I mean, our other programs. Because we're all about integration, we're all about inclusion, and to try to normalize things as much as possible. So the, you know, the program that most people go on, and we we just call it Share the Adventure, and it it does, you know, we do, um, well, a lot of out, they're all kind of outdoor trips, but it used to be all wilderness trips. We'd go to the Bounty Waters or down to the Everglades or you know, um, you know, up to the to the Northwoods of Maine, and go go canoe camping or kayaking or dog sledding but over the years we've uh, we've added a lot of what we call now lodge based trips where people stay at a lodge or stay in a you know in a I wouldn't say a resort but, but they'll stay in lodges and kind of travel around we do now a, a number of international trips so we go to like Iceland and Tanzania and New Zealand and uh, actually, in September, we're doing our first trip to Peru, which um, I'm going to go on, and I'm excited to go on that and to go see Machu Picchu and Lake Titicaca, and, you know, it's a pretty cool area. So we've been doing international trips for 15 years, and those trips are, you know, usually we fly to, like, say, Costa Rica or something, and then we we uh, travel around together and stay at different places and then kind of do day trips and, and activities. And um, it's pretty fun. Well, I mean, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, we just went to Norway, or I'm sorry, Iceland. You know, it's kind of a hot travel destination. And we had a woman on our trip who was 89, and I would say was kind of beginning to show um, some elements of, you know, dementia there. And it was... Uh, I mean, she loved the trip, and it was it was great. So. Great. Well, it's uh, it's amazing all all the types of trips that that you guys have done and and are doing in the organization. I mean, when I, you know, I went through your building, and they're like, well, you know, if someone's from Florida and they're going to cold weather and they need a coat or they need a tent, I mean, you guys have this extra stuff. 
um, for people. Uh, and I just, I, that just kind of flabbergasted me on, on how well organized you are and, and understanding the needs of what people, what people have to have. And um, I just, like I said, I, I, I think it's so amazing. You know, I did this dementia friendly um, cruise and, over and over, I just kept hearing from people, you know, we didn't think we could do this anymore. We didn't think we could do this. And it was, you know, the one that I did that had a care partner and their person with dementia. But just gathering because our mind limits us um, up front on what's possible and what's not. And I think when you're in a in a group setting and you've got that professional, you know, backup support, it just, um, it just takes it to a whole nother level and and eases the mind and allows people to to enjoy the experience. So uh, I, I just I, I can't um, speak highly enough of of what you're doing uh, for the community at large out there. Now it looked like you do some for just women's groups and stuff too. I mean you you really have a wide range of 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 people that you serve. It looks like. Well, that's right. It's probably easier to talk about who we don't serve than who we do because we serve, you know, our goal is to serve everyone. And, you know, really as far as the limitations go, and we do have some, you know, it would be if they're medically unstable. You know, so if somebody has a broken leg, you know, we'll tell them to stay home until they get healed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's, you know, um, but that inclusion piece, what we found, you know, Laurie, is we never – you know, there were there were programs that would like work on one specific issue, like Alzheimer's or like cerebral palsy or you know muscular dystrophy or whatever. And we never, um, you know, we never looked at it that way. Our, our view was always just, you know, if you want to go, you know, to the wilderness, let's figure out how to do it. And so our groups would all often have a quite a mix and a range of people. Maybe somebody who was blind, and maybe someone who was deaf, and maybe someone who had Alzheimer's, and another person who, or two who used a wheelchair from whatever means. You know, maybe they had MS or they had a spinal cord injury. And what we found in doing that mixing of people is the, the, uh, you know, you could call it camaraderie, but the discoveries of each other and how to figure out how to do things. I mean, it was, I mean, that's, you know, we call them symbiotic relationships, if you're familiar with that term in biology class, mm-hmm. where, you know, you would have a person who used a wheelchair might team up with somebody who has cerebral palsy and can't, you know, needs crutches or something to get across the trail, and the person in the chair provides the stability for that person, and, the, you know, I remember we had a guy with CP who was strong as a horse, and that he could push he could push like nobody's business. And so, you know, combined, they could do something that neither of them could do alone. And mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're out there, I don't know what it is, but when you're out there in the natural world, and, of course, Mother Nature doesn't care about, you know, whether you have Alzheimer's or whatever. I mean, you know, the, the mosquitoes are going to bite you either way. You know, <laughs> but when you, when, you, when you see people come together and push to get things done, it's... Uh, it's, it leaves you with a huge, I mean, you know, that transformative piece that I talked about early on on our first trip, it's, the, the beauty of it is it's happened again and again and again, and, it's, and I would say that inclusion piece has been a big part of that. A lot of people mm-hmm. think that, oh, it's 
great that you serve some of you serve people with disabilities and i you know we kind of reject that and sure we do but really it's not a special needs we're not looking at it that way we're looking at it as you know we're all in this boat together and if we if we have this trip together we all come out of it stronger and uh better on the other end and and, mm-hmm. and for the most part you know, anytime you know, we've done now like ten thousand trips, and so you know, you have a dud every once in a while. But, but I would say it's about ninety-eight percent of the time the trips turn out to be fantastic. So, mm-hmm. how do you think your organization has changed over the the forty years? Well, I think. Well, first of all, we diversified the programming and the things that we do. We have a big program that we call Canoe Mobile, which, um, you know, one of the things that happened is a lot of youth and you know a lot of people as we become a more urban society you know and other reasons i mean aren't connecting with the outdoors like people used to and so we have this program which really goes around the country if you remember the bookmobile which brought mm-hmm. you know literacy to rural america the the canoe mobile brings environmental literacy to urban america and that goes to cities all across the country so we you know, but it's basically it's it's built on the same foundation of what we do, and you know what I mean by that is um, a lot of groups. You know, it's kind of it's like you know come to our place three hundred miles away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sort of the approach. And with us, I remember in, right after we did our first trip, my friend and I we went to nursing homes around town with a slide projector to recruit people with disabilities to go to the wilderness with us. And, you know, it was quite interesting going in those places and seeing folks of all kinds of situations. And enough people were kind of crazy enough to do it with us. Um, But many people said, hey, you know, we'd love to try it, but, you know, can we try it on a local lake first before we commit ourselves to a week in the bounty waters? (laughs) (laughs) Which made a lot of sense to us. And we said, sure. So we started taking canoes out and we called them canoeing is for everyone and evenings and went right where they lived and you know just had people come out and they'd meet us and we'd check them out we'd make whatever arrangements we had to do to get them on a boat and do that and so that kind of taught us the idea of going where people live and starting where people are at and mm-hmm. that canoe mobile is very much in that in that mode um and all of that, I would just say, kind of traces back to our, you know, where we started out 40 years ago. But the mm-hmm. other thing I would say that's changed, there's been another big change, and that is, I would say that our staff today, 40 years ago, inclusion was cool, and we had great people who were totally committed to it, but it wasn't mainstream. It wasn't... You know, people still stare at people with disabilities and wonder what they're doing outside of the home. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, today, and I don't know if you've noticed this in your lifetime, but today, um, and I guess it's probably after the ADA and, you know, publicity and, you know, people out in classes, classes have been integrated more, schools have, that um, our staff are much more immediately in tune with and embracing someone with a disability and maybe that's because we have a reputation for that i don't know but it but it seems like we have less and less um we have to do less and less training on why 
you know, why would we do this? Because they just seem to get it more intuitively. I don't know how to describe it, but but I but it's I've really noticed that over the last ten, fifteen years. Which I think yeah, is a good thing. Well, yeah, and I, I would agree. I mean I gosh, probably thirty five years ago I worked with developmentally disabled and I mean they were more hidden. You know, they they were just starting to come into group homes in neighborhoods and out of state hospitals and and things. So I mean, things have changed a lot um, yeah. with with integration of of all different types of of disabilities. And you know, we're all disabled if we want to admit it or not. Uh, but none of us work perfectly <laughs> the way we're supposed to. And uh, and so I, I think you know that misnomer of that standard of this is how it's how everyone is supposed to act and be. Um, is just, in my opinion, a broken model to begin with, and um, you know something that needs to be something that needs to be changed. And we need to be much more accepting of one another. And like your company is doing, you know, meeting people where they're at, and um, still being inclusive and allowing them to have a full life experience. And that's that's yeah. pretty cool. Out of out of all the places that you've traveled to, do you have a, a trip or two that are just kind of your your ultimate that we're just you'll never forget? Well, I certainly have trips that I would never forget. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's probably on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of them just based on the people, and you know. Um, I mean, I we just did a trip to New Zealand, which, um, well, we've been doing, Wilderness Inquiry has been going to New Zealand for about 15 years, but I actually just did did it two years ago, and it was mm-hmm. phenomenal. And, uh, in fact, so much so that um, <laughs> one of the funny little things about this 40th anniversary that we have, um, mm-hmm. our staff have sentenced me to spend 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness this year. Oh. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I said, well, great, you know, where where can I go? And I said, pick your places. And and I asked my wife where she wanted to go, and she said, back to New Zealand. So we're going to go back to New Zealand in December, not for 40 days. You know, it's a, it's a regular wilderness inquiry trip, but that place was just a phenomenal, um, phenomenal experience. And I would say that, you know, our Costa Rica, we do a trip in Costa Rica again, which just is kind of a, because of the, you know, we follow sort of a formula on our trips that mm-hmm. I think is really, really works out well. We kind of go to three, you know, if it's a 10-day trip, we'll move to three different places and stay in these areas. And we don't always go to the most, um, you know, you, like if we go to Yellowstone, you know, sure, you see Old Faithful because, you know, everybody has to see Old Faithful. But we go to other places that people don't know about as much but that, that I think are, like, totally cool and off the, a little bit off the beaten trail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, for example, in Costa Rica, there's a, a lot of people go to the north in Costa Rica, but we go down south and go to the Osa Peninsula, which is really, you know, teeming with wildlife and I mean it's really phenomenal I think. So I I I would have to say probably you know New Zealand Costa Rica but then there's a there's a um 
Olympic National Park, which we, I love that place out in Washington. We do that on Puget Sound. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then there's always the Everglades, which is phenomenal. So it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard one, to, hard one for me to answer because, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you one little story. I, I used to think, you know, growing up um, in Minnesota where I grew up, you know, we would go, we would go to the Bounty Waters, and that was sort of the definition of pristine wilderness for us. Mm-hmm. And with, but in Minneapolis, it's known as the City of Lakes, and there's a lot of lakes around, as you probably are aware. There's also the Mississippi River that flows right through the Twin Cities. And I always grew up just thinking that the Mississippi River was, you know, polluted and um, dirty and not worth going to and dangerous and full of carp and all that. And about 20 years ago, a friend of mine from Texas came up, and he he learned he was fishing on the Mississippi River and wanted me to go. And I figured, what the heck, he's from Texas. He doesn't even know the difference, you know, between a, <laughs> between a great place <laughs> in a dirty old river. But I went down to the Mississippi River and my mind was changed. I mean, it was like, it was a phenomenal experience and the water was much cleaner than I had remembered and we caught a lot of fish. And and so, you know, and that's kind of the wilderness in our back, in my backyard. And so now we've paddled rivers all over the country from the Ohio to the Harlem River in New York to the Anacostia River in D.C. And, um, these urban rivers have a lot, you know, if you paddle on, the, I don't know if you have any listeners in Washington, D.C., but the Anacostia River is a phenomenal paddling river, and it's spectacularly beautiful. And I just, I, you know, I guess that's a long-winded answer for your question of what's my favorite place. <laughs> no, but, that's okay. That's okay. You know, I, just, I mean, it just shows that there's so much variety, too. And, and I like, you know, um, the ability to just kind of do a little neighborhood jaunt, too, for people to kind of test things out for a trip, you know, for a day trip of if it's canoeing or hiking or something like that um, before they explore further uh, so that they, they can get a, a sense of comfort and um, who they're dealing with and and how, you know, how things would flow. Uh, I think that that's smart. And then for some, maybe that's all they're going to want to do too. And, and that's okay, but it still, still gets people out and uh, gets them included um, in, in some pretty neat activities to be able to do. Do you have, um, is there, is there one place that you haven't gone or one trip that you'd like to see developed Anything on your bucket list for your organization? Oh yeah, yeah, we got a lot of places. Um, <laughs> so one of them, well, South America is kind of, you know. So I've been to Peru before personally, but you know, for wilderness inquiry, it's our first time, and there's a lot of things to do in South America. And so Patagonia and the Galapagos, and um, you know, the Amazon. I mean, I I love the Amazon. So, so you know. That's a that's a huge continent right there. Um, you know, there's parts of Europe. So we have done trips to Europe, but you know, we don't think of Europe as a wilderness continent. But that's actually a misnomer because there's some fabulous places in Scotland and and uh, you know, and certainly in Northern Europe. And um, so there's and then we've we've also never been to Asia and. Mm-hmm. 
we've been thinking about going to China, um, which would be a little bit different. But you know, China actually has phenomenal um, outdoor resources, and they're you know kind of a burgeoning tourism industry there. That you know, we've had many overtures, and we have a number of you know everything else notwithstanding about you know our relationship with China. We have we have some great friends over there uh, who have come to the United States and gone on our trips here, and then have you know been been really encouraging us to do some trips in China. So there's a lot of places yet on this earth to to experience, even after 40 years. And I mean, that's the beauty. That's mm-hmm. what I love. One of the what I love about doing what we do is I love bringing people together who otherwise wouldn't necessarily get together and see them develop new friendships and new ways of thinking is, um, you know, we call it the great melting pot and it's just, it's just phenomenal. But we also love exploring the planet and seeing, you know, seeing different things at work. And I think that that's an important piece because, um, just the other day, we were up in the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore on Lake Superior, and it was a crystal clear night, and the stars came out, and, you know, you could see the Milky Way just blazing up there. And, you know, when you live in the city, you know, you don't even see the stars that much anymore, but this was just, like, mm-hmm. overwhelming. And I think that when you all share that kind of, you know, scene that will take your breath away, or that will fascinate everybody, you know, the issue of our differences, whether that's Alzheimer's or whatever it is, just kind of fade into, you know, we become people, you know. One of the people, one of my favorite lines is, we met each other as human beings, you know. And it's like, Mm -hmm. because, again. Well, and and that is is absolutely wonderful, you know, to be able to... um, to have that experience, like you said, as humans, that everything else just melds away and and you're just left with the raw beauty of life and and that interconnectedness, which is which is very, very cool on that. Um, now, can you tell us in terms of if someone is interested in getting more information on a trip, what would what would their next steps be? Well, um you know, we have a website, of course, that has a lot of different trips and things on it, and we try to make it as useful as possible. But, And that's just, you know, wildernessinquiry.org, O-R-G. But if anybody Googles Wilderness Inquiry, they'll see it there. Um, we also have, you know, I don't know if we're old-fashioned, but we still we still answer the phone, and that's one of the things I insist on. <laughs> that, that we you know, if, if if somebody calls us, we, I want a human being to answer it and not get into an endless, you know, press X for Y kind of deal. So, mm-hmm. our, so our phone number is just 612-676-9400 and uh, 612-676-9400. So people can always call, too. And those are probably the two you know, the two ways. Um, we do have it. We keep a mailing list and we send out a trip catalog to folks. It's not, you know, if you see our trip catalog, it's not, um, you know, there's pictures of people with disabilities in it. But like someone like, if you, I'm sure there's a photo of somebody with, with Alzheimer's or dementia in there. You wouldn't know it, though. I mean, you wouldn't be able to yeah. tell. And, and part of what our whole thing is, again, you know, 
we try to blend it in so that it's not it's not the standout that it's actually normal. I mean, we view traveling with people who have a disability or people who maybe have a different political point of view or a or come from a different neighborhood or a different country, you know, that doesn't matter as much. I mean, what matters is that kind of shared passion and commitment for each other that you have on a, on a trip. Yeah. So that's what we but, and I think, you know, from, from what you're saying too, it's, it's not about the disability. It's about the ability and the enabling, yeah. you know, of the ability and just uh, the, the joy of travel um, that that anybody can have, you know, with some adaption that that might need to occur, and you and you work with that. Now, have you ever had somebody who, let's say, because um, I know you do a lot of canoeing and things, uh, who had a fear of water, and yet still oh, went? Yeah. Oh sure, all the time. <laughs> uh huh. Um, and uh, you know, so we, you know, we insist on everybody wears a life jacket. And we have, that's one thing we've, you know, we've invested in. We have really good life jackets that are high quality and relatively new. I mean, sometimes I've gone to a place where you put on a life jacket and you wish you didn't have to wear it just because it smelled like mildew or something, you know. You don't know where it's been, yeah. Yeah, well, or you can only imagine where it's been. But, you know, so we, uh, we have a rule that if someone's wearing it, well, if somebody's putting it in your mouth, in their mouth, like silverware or something. You know, it's got to be absolutely. And if they're wearing it, it also or sleeping in it, like a sleeping bag, um, you know, that it's that's a little different than if you're riding in a van or something. But, um, you know, I think that uh, the fear of water is real for a lot of folks. But if you're wearing a life jacket, it's really no. You know, there's no real cause for concern unless it's cold water. Because the thing that, one thing that just, you know, from a safety point of view, I mean, most people, well, most people who drown, it's because they didn't wear their life jacket and mm-hmm. they also fell into cold water where they were incapacitated. And people don't, I don't think people understand, you know, the full effect of falling, of going into cold water, but... Um, like recently, you know, we had, you know, living in Minneapolis, we had a big blizzard less than, what, a month ago, three weeks ago. And, um, you know, the ice was on the lakes, and the ice came off the lakes. It was 80 degrees outside, but the mm-hmm. water was still incredibly cold because it's, you know. Um, so, anyways, we pay a lot of attention to that kind of thing and don't go out on the water if it's super cold. and um but, you know, the answer to your question is we do have, I would say, especially with that canoe mobile program, a lot of kids these days sadly can't swim, especially kids that live in the inner city. They've never been in a boat before. Uh, the fear of water is a huge reason for them to not go, but we somehow coax them out. And, and usually after about a half hour in the boat, they're singing and ready to go back out there. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Yeah, things have things have changed. I mean, we used to go swimming in the pond at the end of our block, but nowadays, you know, I drive by there and you would never jump in there because it's it's not clean. You know, it's polluted and stuff. But we used to, as kids, we used to live down there at the pond, 
and uh, yeah, things things have definitely definitely changed. Now, are there are there any times of year that you don't travel? Um, well, there's peak seasons, but um, you know, summertime is actually our peak season. But we travel pretty much year round, um, especially you know if we're going to. Uh, well, like that trip to New Zealand, that's kind of in the middle of December, you know, so their, their summer season is offsetting from ours. Mm-hmm. Um, so we pretty much have trips year-round. We've not done one over Christmas or Thanksgiving yet, you know, mm-hmm. so we, we we avoid those two holidays or over the, you know, that holiday season. Um, but otherwise... Yeah. Otherwise, no. We go we go around the clock. We do go over the Fourth of July, and um, you know, just because that's a big summer travel season and Labor Day yeah. and Memorial Day, you know, those we have trips out all the time. Now, if somebody had a group and an idea of where to go, is that something that they can work with you on? Um, that let's say isn't oh, yeah. in your magazine. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, we do a lot of trips with families and um, organizations, you know, just in our internal language, we call them contract trips. But basically anywhere that we go, we can do a group trip, you know, for a private group. But also we do, what you'll see on our website, we we actually have like 150 more destinations that we go to. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily advertise them or promote them as a group, as a as a trip that anyone can sign up for. Mm-hmm. And we also figure out if a group wants to go on their own or do a separate trip, um, we do that as well. And, you know, but we're not really a travel agency per se. It's, you know, it's like we don't like book airfare or do things like that, but we'll arrange an itinerary. Um, well, I take that back. If we, if we're going, if, if a trip includes a flight, like for example, that trip to New Zealand, we fly when we're in New Zealand. We fly to mm-hmm. uh, a place called Milford Sound, which is phenomenal. Um, we book all that kind of stuff, but like we wouldn't book your flight to New Zealand. Um, okay. So we're not we're not like a travel agency. I mean, we're more of a I guess you could say a tour operator. Okay. And, okay. Um, well, but good. yeah, well, so I people can't... can call it. Yeah. I'm okay. sorry. No, no, it's it's just it's great to know. And again, people can call 612-676-9408, 612-676-9408, or you can always go to the website again, which is wildernessinquiry.org and um check it out. The the pictures are fabulous there. And uh, I think you will definitely be be intrigued by that. Any last comments? Our hour is almost up already. It just goes by so fast. Yeah. You know, I would just say that if you're thinking about doing a trip, you know, quit thinking about it and just do it. Because, you know, <laughs> life, life is short. And I think, um, you know, it's just time to get out there and do it. That's That's my attitude is I've gotten older. I've developed more of a more of an attitude of not putting things off. Just get her done. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. That's very true. Very true. Well, Greg, thank you again 
so much for taking the time to be with us today. Again, we've been talking with Greg Lace, uh, who is the founder of Wilderness Inquiries, um, and they do a lot of uh, group travel. And if you are interested, please please check them out. You can go to the website. Again, that's wildernessinquiry.org or give them a holler by phone. They actually have a live person answering the phone, 612-676-9408. So thanks again, Greg. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Larry. Um, in closing, I'm just going to uh, go ahead and wrap up and give a couple of plugs to couple other organizations. One is the American Senior Magazine, which I just adore. They're a lifestyle magazine for seniors, and their topics range from um, nostalgia, health, and wellness, and they do great interviews spotlighting notable Americans. You can go to AmericanSeniorMagazine.com or better yet, go to AlzheimerSpeaks.com, and you'll see an ad, and you'll be able to get a little discount um, from them. Another organization is the Women's Alzheimer's Movement, which is uh, Maria Schreiber's baby. Uh, this June, she is doing Move for Mind, so please go check that out. Um, she is just a, a passionate advocate for um, women in Alzheimer's and uh, pushing that research, research forward. And you can go to her website, which is thewomensalzheimersmovement.org, thewomensalzheimersmovement.org. Have a great week, everyone, and thanks for joining us. And again, don't forget to like, click, and share this episode. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the way showers who will help your journey a lot easier.